0: Hey, good morning. Hey, thank you, Diana, for taking care of uh, that devotion. Such good thoughts. Very helpful. So great. Uh, I hope that today, if you're in the Castle Rock area or anywhere near Douglas County, you'll drive down and be a part of our dessert here at uh, Castle Oaks here on our, at our facility. Uh, just come in. You'll, you'll see some directions about how to get in. To our parking lot, we'll give you some ice cream, uh, some tasty treats. Just come in with your family. All those that are serving will be uh, masked and ready to, you know, just really take care of you in good ways. So we did this uh, about a week and a half ago now, and it was really great to see people face-to-face or, you know, face-to-mask, whatever is good for you. And uh, we're, we're just really looking forward to this afternoon. So 2 o'clock to about 3.30, so you can come and hang with us. That, that would be really good. Um, Hey, we are hoping over the next week or two to schedule an online meeting for our church so that we can explain kind of what things will look like for Castle Oaks as our county and our state begins to figure out how to open up and so uh, we're waiting for some information from the county commissioners and from uh, the state approval process as well while we try to sort out how we can welcome people back into the building. And so just watch e news and watch your email. If you don't get our e news, then send uh, an email to infocastleoaks.org and we'll get you connected. We would love to uh, just spend some time with you, talk about our annual meeting that normally would happen in May, and so we just wanna give you updates about all of that. So one of the things that has really resonated with people over the last couple of weeks is we've talked to them. Two weeks ago, we used this phrase that Josh had taught me. We've lost the plot was the phrase that he had talked about. And this, this moment where we find ourselves in a conversation or maybe something isn't going well, and we forget about what's most important or what's really going on, or what we should really be placing an importance on. And so maybe you've seen out in public, or in your own interactions, or maybe even in your own kitchen, someone lose the plot, maybe you've lost the plot, and the reaction then is just sort of maybe out of proportion to what has happened. And when this occurs, uh, this phrase of course has come back to mind for me, when it's happened for me, and I have thought over the last couple of weeks, we just sort of use this at the end of a message, but the question that I think is worth asking, um, that I wonder if we're all on the same page regarding is this question. Really, if, if we've lost the plot, wh- what is the plot? What is the plot itself? I mean, it's just a, a good phrase to keep in mind, but this idea behind what is the story that God is telling, even when it feels like the world is coming apart at the seams or is this things may never go back to the way they were before, maybe... We all need a place to go back to scripturally that will help us recenter, that will help us just remind all of us. These are unusual times that we're in. And so when this occurs, stress can take over, fear can take over, confusion can kind of set in as you're trying to figure out what is happening and what can you expect. And all of these things can cause us to forget, forget what matters most. And then we get distracted. When we get distracted, we lose our focus. So there are five verses in the first chapter of Colossians that really help us grab hold of what the plot is. Now I know it's not Philippians. We'll get to Philippians, I promise. And uh, even emphasize some of the things that Diana shared with the kids. It's all tied together with the adults as well. But these verses in Colossians chapter 1, they'll help us. Remember, if we'll go back to these verses, maybe even this week, maybe you'll go back and read it in a different translation. Here's what Paul says. He packs a lot into these verses Colossians 1 15 to 20. He says this The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, he's going to give you all kinds of deep, important, thoughtful theology, but some of these ideas are incredibly practical too. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you've ever been frustrated that God can't be seen or touched or known or maybe even experienced, then all you have to do is remember this that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've ever wondered what God thinks is important, then look to the Gospels and the things that Jesus taught. Look to the Gospels and the things that Jesus did. If you've ever wanted to shape your own values, your own uh, important list, your own priorities around what is most important, then all you have to do is look to Jesus for he is the image of the invisible God. In fact, at one point, Jesus even said, I only do what I see the father doing. I only do what he does and, and that's what I engage in. These are the activities that he does. These are the, the ways that he walks about and teaches. He heals those whom he sees God healing. He, he only does what he sees God doing. He is the image of of the invisible God. This is a key piece of the plot as we jump into it. Then he says this, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Everything was created. How many things? How many things? Just write it down, underline it, know it, and understand it. All things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers, rulers and authorities, all of them, were created. All things have been created through him and for him. This verse describes a a large theological word, sovereignty. This is who God is. God doesn't look at the world and think, well, I made that, but not this. I sanctioned or, or allowed this to be created, but that I have no idea what that's about. That's not who God is and it's not who Jesus is. All things we're created. It's part of the plot. Is it a mess? Absolutely. Has sin screwed some things up? Of course. Has the fall had an effect on who we are and how we treat each other and how we deal with things like disease? And yes, of course. But God is still sovereign. The mess that the world is in, the difficulties that we experience, none of that takes anything away from God's sovereignty. Ever. Then he says this He is Jesus. He is before all things. He's always existed. Jesus didn't begin uh, with the Christmas story or the Gospels or Matthew and Luke's story of how he came to be born. He is before all things, always existing. And in him, all things hold together my life, your life. Your ability to understand anything, everything that is held together is held together by Jesus. And He is the head of the body, that's us, the church. And He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. He created all things, and He is about the business of bringing life from death. I mean, The season that we're in, this pandemic, this ought to be the center of the plot that we remember, that we never forget, that Jesus is always about the business of bringing life from death. And he can do this because he was the firstborn from among the dead. He is the first one to experience the conquering of death. This is why the resurrection occurred, so that you and I could be freed from the slavery of the fear of death. This is the central idea of the plot. And all of us who know Jesus, the ecclesia, the church, those who are called out, those who are connected to the body of Christ, we're all a part of this plot. The ones you agree with and the ones that you think are off the reservation, we're all a part of the same plot. The ones who wear masks and the ones who don't the ones who voted different than you, the ones who support people that you don't support, the people that you think, I can't even believe that they're a part of this ecclesia. We're all in this together. And in everything, he would have the supremacy. And then he says this, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, to dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself Again, what does it say? All things. This is the central idea of the plot in these few verses. This is exactly what is occurring even when it feels like it's not happening at all. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. When you want some of this peace right now? I mean, don't you feel like you need more peace and less controversy, more peace and less disunity, more peace and less disagreement? This is who Jesus is. And even though it doesn't feel like the plot is moving forward at the pace that we would like to see it, it is. This is the idea that has been in history. From the very beginning of time, and it will always be central to what's happening, to what God is up to. The story God is telling throughout all of eternity by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This word reconcile, it means to to bring back into harmony those things that were once together, once held together in harmony and peace, but were separated or ripped apart And so what Jesus does is he brings it all back together. God does not lose the plot. God is fully aware of the plot. God's purposes will never be thwarted. He will always move in the same direction. And these verses in Colossians might just remind you of the big picture. It might remind you of the plot that we cannot lose. And so even if you think there's a little subplot that God has forgotten about, or you just wonder how come it feels like some things are off the table or not being paid attention to, nobody's at the wheel, God is at the wheel, we promise. and We believe this to be true. And we will see him advance the plot at his pace on his timetable. Usually it's not ours. That's the frustrating, disheartening, discouraging part. But this is what God is doing. And so I began wondering uh, over the last couple of weeks, how do we end up losing the plot? What happens? I mean, what happens in my life, in your life? How is it that those of us who know Jesus, we know Scripture, we understand what is at stake, how is it that we end up missing the point? How do we lose the plot? Well, I think it's this. I think this is what happens. We lose the plot when we place second things first. This language, this this terminology was coined by, originated by C.S. Lewis. And lots of people, Stephen Covey, many other business leaders have made this very popular. But I believe that we lose the plot when we take something that is meant to be a second thing, something that God gave us, a good thing that that we can enjoy, that we can absolutely take part in when it becomes first. And when it becomes first, some really destructive harmful, painful things happen in our life. Now, you remember, of course, that all the things that have been made have been made by Jesus. You just read it in Colossians chapter 1. He's made all things. And we, we also know this, that God has given us every good and perfect gift. It comes from his hand. But when we lose the plot and we place second things first, then all kinds of really, messes occur in our life. You can ponder it. I mean, God created the food that we eat. And some of us have really kind of leaned into enjoying food uh, during these few weeks, these these couple months. And, you know, it shows a little bit, right, right here. When we place second things first and food becomes a first thing, well, then it turns into gluttony. And, and not only do you not get to enjoy the food, you're only enjoying more. And when you enjoy more What becomes, well, it's out of place. When we put money or our livelihood or our career or our ability to earn an income into a first place, well, then what begins to grow are the seeds and the the root of greed in our life. And so we're not just comfortable with having enough to pay the bills. We need to have more than we had last year or 10 years or even 20 years ago. If you're 40 or 50 or 60, you know this. What you lived on a few decades ago, even if you add in the cost of living, it's not enough for us to live on now because we've grown accustomed to a different kind of lifestyle. Of course, that is the seeds of greed and selfishness that we try to keep at bay. Many of us have put knowledge or information into a first place throughout this pandemic. We have this idea and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody, that if we can only understand it, then we can put it in its proper place or, or we can manage it or we can decide how we're going to navigate this pandemic. But when we put knowledge and information into a first place, how do you know? Well, based on the amount of time that you research and Google and dig into articles and all kinds of things like we're the scientists, we're not. When we do that, it leaves wisdom out and knowledge without wisdom will always lead us to a place of pride. For some of us, it's politics or the power structure of those that are leading our country. And when we put politics into a first place, then we're guaranteed to fall into the deadly sin of power without principle. And of course, then we're pursuing power for power's sake. And of course, it's always tied into wealth and money at that point. Put a person into a first place, well, you're going to find yourself utterly codependent. Put friends or a hobby or talent or maybe even the labels that Diana was talking about, maybe those labels that make us feel important or worthy. Whenever we put first things down the list and we put second things at the top of our priorities or our values, well, we lose the plot every time. This is what C.S. Lewis said about it. This is the the idea behind this concept. Here's what he says. You'll see the quote here. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both both first and second things. Just read that for yourself and just, just let it soak in a bit. Just take it in. Maybe snap a picture with your phone or something. Remember what he says because he's going to describe an idea that is worth your time and attention to turn over in in your understanding so that you grasp what he means. Jesus said the very same thing as well. Look at what Lewis says first. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. You might remember, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does he say after that? And then all these things, all these things, what? Well, you need money to live and to exist. You need sustenance. You need some security to believe that God is providing and taking care of you. You need a community and friends. You need all of the things we've mentioned But he says, and all these things, well, they'll be added to you. How and why? Only when you put first things first. So maybe a question worth wrestling with today is this, and it would be different for all of us, the answers. What are the second things that crowd out the plot for you? What are they? You ought to make a list. In fact, your spiritual growth is only as good as your self-awareness. What are the second things that cause you to lose the plot? Here's a hint, maybe that'll help drive you to some good and thoughtful answers. What are the things that for you cause worry and anxiety? Maybe cause your anger to flare? Maybe cause you to uh, fall deep into confusion? Maybe that feed your pride? What are the second things? Most of those are negative examples and they'll, they'll help you think about the ways that your values might get askew. Usually it doesn't happen that you wake up and decide you're gonna make money or your career or even your security more important. It just ebbs over time and then we find ourselves having lost the plot. What are the second things that crowd out the plot for you? Here's another place where you might discover some things. What are the labels that you wear where you find your identity or your worth in, something other than Jesus? What are the labels that you're likely to wear that could be stripped from you and leave you wondering who you are? Or maybe more importantly, whose you are? These are labels that we often get our identity from, labels that we get our worth or we find success in. Look, if you can find these places, these second things, whether it's a label you wear or maybe someplace where you're tempted to put a second thing first, then you can begin to address places of change. And my guess is, if you're like me and my friends and most of the people that I know, through these few months, places of change or growth are readily available all around you which is why what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 is so powerful and transformative. This is what he says. I once thought, Paul says, that these things, we'll tell you what those are in a minute, that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Paul for us is going to describe this path that he went down where change occurred in his heart and in his life, where he rearranged his priorities. He put first things first and second things on down the list. In fact, Paul will tell you where his second things belong because he loves to make a point with some hyperbole. I once thought that these things were valuable, but I, I went through a change. I went through a transformation. Some things began to shift in me, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What could it be for Paul? that because of the cross is now unimportant to him. And what he shares is absolutely incredible. By the time Paul gets to this verse, verse 7 in chapter 3, he has already, earlier in the chapter, given us his entire Jewish resume. He he talks about his circumcision. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was an elite among the Pharisees. In fact, Paul gives a resume that would make any Jewish person reading it in Philippians wondering why he would ever follow this rabbi named Jesus because as far as Jews go, he had a Vita, he had a resume that was unmatched. It was as good as anybody's could have been. But now Paul, realizing that he had put second things first, rearranged his priorities and his values. And he says, oh, these things these labels, these pursuits, this education of mine, my pedigree, my PhD, my success. It was all very valuable to me, but now it is worthless to me. Here's what he says about it. He says, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I love, Paul uses hyperbole a lot in his letters and writings. Everything is worthless. And of course, Paul uses his Jewish heritage to win people to Christ. He uses what he learned about the Old Testament growing up from a very young child under the tutelage of rabbis that are very famous, very well known. He uses all of it to advance the kingdom of God. But now Paul wants to make it clear that it had been very valuable and important to him and now it is considered to be worthless for his sake, I have discarded everything, he says, counting it all as garbage. Now, this is not a great translation. It's the best we can do for a polite translation. In fact, the, the word that Paul uses here for garbage, the Greek word, it, it isn't very polite at all. It has nothing to do with politeness. In, in fact, it's a, it's a gross word. It's really, it's really gross. In, in fact, This is the only time that Paul uses this word, and he is the only one who uses it in the entire New Testament, and he uses it one time. And he uses it to refer to his accomplishments, his credentials, And he lays it all aside. And when he lays it all aside, he says, it's just garbage. And of course, now I think you get a grasp on what he was referring to. And he says that he laid it aside for this one reason. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is the only thing that Paul is concerned about. And so Paul is willing to put all labels aside anything that might tempt him towards pride or, or self-sufficiency or take his eyes off the plot or remove his attention from Jesus. And he's ready to surrender his life completely. Now, Paul only finds meaning. You can read this in every one of his letters. And every one of his letters make it clear that Paul only finds meaning in his life when he connects his existence to the story of Jesus In fact, he wants to allow his life to be laid over top of the life of Jesus so that it mirrors who Jesus is and what Jesus values. And so he says that he wants to gain Christ and become one with him. And then in this passage as it wraps up, he says this, I want to know Christ and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And in this one verse, verse 10 of chapter 3, is the entire gospel. Of course, you see the crucifixion mentioned. You see the resurrection mentioned. And you see Paul weaving the story of his own life into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the only way we find meaning you're seeing all the headlines I'm seeing, the, the only way to find meaning is to make sense of the suffering in the world. And Paul connects his suffering with the death of Jesus. In other words, Paul is committed to the idea that when he goes through difficulty or pain, that he is living out or walking in the story of Jesus. And that that suffering has an ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose of that suffering is that he would become one with or know Christ. And so Paul comes to the conclusion that it seems like idiocy to somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all. It seems like complete lunacy. It it seems like a mental illness. I want to suffer with him. In other words, I am willing to lay aside anything else that could be a second thing and consider it completely worthless. I'm willing to take any label that might give me credibility or prop me up or give me pride or standing or success in the world and lay it aside because I believe if I do that, that I will experience the power of the resurrection. Now, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not, you probably know this through experience as well, that this is absolutely True. It's capital T, true. I mean, it's true for all people, all times, and all places. When this leads you to a place of surrender, you find a power that you didn't know was there. You find an ability to walk with God that you didn't even know you had. Now, I guarantee you, put a second thing first, and you will lose peace. You will lose transformative power. You will lose patience or the ability to control your anger. The fruit of the Spirit will be shoved down and quenched. But if you put first things first, then you will find in yourself, not because of who you are, but only because of who Jesus is, that you are becoming someone who knows Christ. You're becoming one with him. So let me ask this question. What are the labels that you need to set aside Where you have found worth in this label, this piece of identity that gets in the way of your worship of Christ. I mean, if Colossians chapter 1 teaches us anything, it's that Jesus is to be worshiped. One who is worshiped is one that we surrender to, that we raise our hands to, that we bow our hearts to. So, what labels do you need to strip? Where do you find your worth or your identity? Are you willing to lay that label down? What are the second things that need to be put in their proper place so that we don't lose the plot? What is it? Name a couple of them. Maybe just name one for this week as you seek to walk with Jesus. Let me guide you through a prayer that will lead us into a place where we can be more fully surrendered to God this week. So Lord, we ask in this moment that you give us the courage to name these second things that distract us or that pull us away Lord we ask that as we do this that you by the power of your spirit will help us to live out the psalm where we uh, plead just the very same prayer that David prayed if there's anything in us Lord that offends you would you highlight it would you bring it to light and as you do so Lord the gentleness of your spirit we pray that you would allow us to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and so draw us to you Help us to name these second things that tempt us to lose the plot. And as you do, Lord, help us to place you first. Help us to, if we need to, engage in this same hyperbole that Paul does, counting all those things as worthless. Lord, help us to find our worth and our identity in Christ and in him alone. And as we do that, may we live for you this week, fully surrendered. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray and we all say, amen.